If you are a weekend surfer, a pro surfer, or like me, an urban surf addict, and you'd like to know the nitty gritty about the behind the scenes of surfing, this is the podcast for you. In each episode of Amongst the Waves, I bring you guests and their stories of how being involved in the surfing industry has not always been a direct path filled with the glamour you see on Instagram. These are their own stories in their own words from people who live and love surfing. Are you a surfer on the Qualifier Series? Do you want to improve your ranking and know the secrets to having the mindset of a pro surfer on the Championship Tour? I've created a guide for you and it's called The Three Ways to Overcome the Mental Battles of Professional Surfing. And you can get your free copy in my bio on Instagram. You can find me there at Tanya A. Carroll. Hi, and welcome to the show this morning, Jess, or welcome to the podcast. Uh, you were just telling me you had a bit of an accident last night whilst you were surfing. Yeah, like a little bit of a... Um came off my board in a funny way and smashed my foot on a funny angle and um, trying to, someone had dropped in on me and gone straight. So yeah, sometimes um, it happens, doesn't it? It does happen. But yeah, that I was just trying to do the safest thing. And I thought it's safer if I jump off and uh, then I didn't do that in a good way. So I've got to, I was, yeah, got to go and get some x-rays after this, but I think it's fine. I think it's just, you know, a little bit of a sprain. So yeah, not worried about it. Uh, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and your teenage years. <laughs> well, I um, have you ever heard of? Oh, you're from Canberra, aren't you? I'm from Canberra, yeah. So landlocked, but I used to go down to Tarthra. Although I didn't surf, I was sitting on the beach for most of my life. Yeah, but then what you just said, then you would understand the feeling that I didn't realise I was feeling when I grew up because I grew up in suburban Melbourne in a suburb called North Bowen, mm-hmm. and I used to. Um, like you know kind of like a nice middle class suburb you know leafy eastern suburbs kind of thing but I used to have this feeling of like like if you're listening and not watching this I'm just doing this like constricted kind of motion and I felt this kind of trappedness and um, I you know wanted to I used to say to my mum and dad I'm moving out to the city as soon as I can and left home quite early and and did go and move into the city um, sort of started leaving home around 16 and disappearing for periods and reappearing and going again that kind of thing Mm. and um I didn't realize until years later when I moved in with my now husband that and he lived in um, Ferntree Gully so I was around trees and open space all the time I realized that feeling that constriction was that growing up in the suburbs and the landlockedness yeah so yeah so I guess um being someone who felt landlocked and didn't realise and also being someone who was quite, um, you know, a thinker and a feeler and very, like, was all very intense. My teenage years were, like, good. I love sport and all that kind of stuff. It was very sporty. But, yeah, definitely had a lot of um, difficulty growing into myself and understanding, like, what was going on for me. So what a great way to put it because I think it's hard sometimes to particularly as women, I find that the words to describe what growing into yourself means and how that feels, because like, it's hard to put that into words, isn't it? Mm. Um, So you left home at 16 and moved into the city. That's that's pretty young by most people's standards. Well, when I say left home, I was kind of running away and staying with people and, um, you know, then I would go back and I ended up... um, ended up sort of in the youth housing system um, because I was having a lot of conflict with my parents at that time Mm. um, at 17. So yeah, sort of started leaving at 16, had a place at 17 and got exposed to the 
big wide world out there and a lot of um you know really troubled young people living in the housing system as well so yeah it was a pretty pretty eye-opening experience for someone who'd grown up in that really lovely eastern suburbs environment so would you say that was sheltered until that point in time yeah yeah I was completely sheltered until then so it was quite an extreme sheltered and then like whoa so yeah but I've always been an experiential learner like I don't think you could have told me what the world was like and I would have just gone oh yep cool it's like I had to go and see it for myself yep when we talk about coaching and I've been a coach for 17 years we talk about the ways that we learn to that we learn so we learn auditory like by sound visually by looking at things but then um kinesthetically like feeling and living those experiences so is that what you mean by that that is me a hundred percent yes yeah very very much so yeah I find that with a lot of people who come into surfing as well that they we do what we call like a half hour land lesson and then we do the hour in the water but what you say on the land sometimes sinks in but it's more what happens out in the water and especially I think in the ocean as well you would know that that um you can't can't imitate that feeling yeah yeah absolutely yeah Um, and so I am going to go down the path of addiction because I know that's a big part of who you were and kind of part of the story of leads us to what you're doing now which is really important we'll get to that but yeah when did you first start using pot I think was where you started wasn't it yeah so that started I mean like any other teenager I really you know I liked to go to parties and that kind of thing so I dabbled a little bit you know drinking and smoking smoking joints and things like that at parties but I like when I was young sort of what I was sort of talking about before like that kind of landlocked feeling and then having like a really really active mind and a lot of energy and um you know really intense emotionally emotionally Mm -hmm. um all of that kind of stuff meant that it was really difficult for me to switch off and so yeah my grandmother actually used to say about me when I was a little kid that I have two modes go and stop and that was it and so I was quite often go 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 and it was often really difficult for me to sleep because of that so it was you know someone at school said to me oh you should just try like smoking some weed before bed it will put you to sleep and I was like oh okay yep that's a great idea because yeah I was sort of sick of like trying to trying to get to sleep naturally and I'd stay up reading books all night or whatever yeah um so yeah that was how it sort of started because it was a medicinal thing for me um like I'd enjoy it at parties but yeah it sort of ticked that first box of oh I can sleep like that will put me to sleep and the second box it ticked was oh my mind is giving like I'm having relief from my mind being so on Mm. and The next box it ticked was that it gave me distance between what I was feeling emotionally. Like it actually, honestly speaking, it numbed me out. But Mm -hmm. when you're feeling like you're so overly connected to everything and being quite, you know, energetically empathic as well and, you know, being very... (laughs) Very in touch with energy. Yeah. Yeah, very in touch with energy, which now I know is an absolute gift, but at that time didn't know how to manage that. Um, so yeah basically like smoking weed was like a blocker for all of those things that were too intense for me Mm. Um, yeah and that was you know basically when you're starting to block and numb things you're not really connected to like you're not connected to those overwhelming parts of yourself but you're also not connected to that deeper fire and passion of the truth of your spirit 
so you start, well, in my case, I started to make a lot of, you know, stupid decisions and develop a reliance on that um, ability to switch off whenever I needed to. Mm. Um, and because of that, ended up in a relationship that was very, um, very toxic dynamic. That relationship went from me being 19 to 27. And it was a really, it was a really, really traumatic and horrible time. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on in that relationship that I wanted to numb myself out from. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there was a very codependent element of the relationship as well. So yeah, like I guess the more that things in my life were happening that I wanted to not feel, the more I was using um, like smoking weed or using other drugs to escape from that reality. Yeah, um, yeah so it just kind of started with me consciously choosing to disconnect and then that just snowballed from there did you have and this is not a question that I've sent to you because I previously sent the questions that I was going to ask so you don't have to answer if you don't want to but did you have role models as a child who had those abilities or had that empathetic nature about them or was you like did you feel like you were just completely on your own with with that that's a really interesting question um my mum's really empathetic. Um, she's naturally very empathetic. And I think part of um, what went on in like my sort of want for independence was that like mum was always there to soothe me when I was younger, yeah. um, which is a beautiful thing to have that kind of love because mum could feel when I needed that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like thinking about the wider circles around me, like no like I didn't I've never been asked that question before like I'd never found anybody like me in that sense yeah cool mm. um I asked that question because when I look back at my childhood um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was empathetic but we my mum's mum so my nanny on my mum's side has passed away now but she used to do things back 30 years ago things that I do now and things that I know about health now and being in touch with the spiritual side of things. And she talked about fairies and she talked about bringing the fairies into her life and like naming the different fairies, but also going down to health. Like she was ahead of the game when it came to water. She was filtering yeah. water and using rocks and mineral salts and things. And my dad used to laugh at her and think she was nuts. Whereas I think if we have somebody like that, who we can relate to in our lives, I think that makes that journey a little bit easier. Not that we want to, like, not that you could have avoided the path that you went down. And, and for me, I know I wouldn't want to change anything about my journey and my path either. And I'm not sure whether you feel that way, but um, sometimes I think people don't have to experience the negative sides as negatively if they've got somebody that they could relate to as a child or as a teenager going through that. Well, it's actually now that you're saying that, I've just been sort of reflecting as you've said it. So my dad's sister, my auntie Val, she is like the one adult, like she was always kind of like the unconventional one in the family. And, you know, she was the one person that if I hadn't had her through those years of darkness and, you know, in those years when I was really trying to find who I was, like I, it would have been, yeah, a lot harder because she was the only person that could reach that core of me and truth. And it never felt like, anything other than just the way that she related to other humans and yeah so she definitely was like I just wanted to grow up and be like her 
and um you know now like as you know 40 nearly 42 year old woman and I look at it and I go god I am so much like that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah definitely she was the one person but like on a kind of lifestyle kind of a I mean I grew up in the eastern suburbs going to private school and you know like yeah there wasn't much of um everything was quite conservative and yeah uh would you call that what you just said your dark time in your life would you say you were an addict during that time uh yeah I definitely yeah like definitely because that's what got me through it like at the same time as it was awful that's also what got me through it so yeah um can you remember and or did you even have because some people don't describe it as being this but have a rock bottom moment where you woke up and went what the fuck am I doing here? Well, I was reflecting on that and it's like, I mean, it depends on, I don't think it's as linear as you have your moment where you just crash and you go, I'm going to change everything. Like I had so many moments of feeling at the rock bottom in, you know, in my soul. Like I had so many moments like that, but then because I was using something to numb those moments out, I could continue on. Um, Mm. And I didn't have the support or the inner resources to be able to just like even if I had that moment where I went I'm going to change everything I wouldn't have been able to do it it was such a long journey um and so I would say it was more that I that I had an incredible moment of clarity and to have that moment of clarity like I, I'd been working towards it for a long time step by step um you know I kind of understood that I understood what I was medicating myself Mm-hmm. and like when I say like I was a very high functioning addict as well like you wouldn't have known it if you hadn't sort of known like what was going on behind closed doors for me yeah um, so yeah when the point came that I was ready like I didn't allow myself on some sort of you know subconscious level I guess to have that moment of clarity until I had the tools to actually act upon it because I knew once I really let that come through I was going to want to act upon it so that actually happened. I took myself off to Vietnam on a trip by myself. Um, the, and this was after, like, this was after, you know, way after those really dark years. It was after what followed those really dark years for me was, you know, a really whirlwind few years of like high achievement and, you know, building my life back up again and going very, very fast in the process to make up for lost time. Yeah. So after all, and, and still using weed behind closed doors to, you know, just like keep up the pace and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that moment of clarity came like on a bus in Vietnam by myself where I find it. And I was talking to my best friend on WhatsApp and um, finally just said to her, like, I, this is such like, it's an addiction and I'm going to stop. And but where that came from inside of me, like it came from a place that was so deep and I felt like I was resourced enough to stop and I had the spiritual strength to do it because I'd been working on so much in myself to get to that point um, spiritually as well as, you know, having the tools to manage anxiety and understanding my anxiety and, you know, all the other things that I was, you know, medicating against. Yeah, I want to ask you about what that. Um, yeah. What were those tools and were you consciously collecting those tools to put in your toolbox for that moment, do you think? Well, I um I probably have to clarify that the timeline we're talking about now is like I sort of I'll paint a little bit of a picture. So the years of being like super 
just my dark years I call them was like 19 like well probably actually about 15 16 to like 27 ish Mm -hmm. um then I had a big period of like stepping out I left the relationship that was the big catalyst for that I left that relationship and that's when I sort of moved into like I don't know I just call them like my glamour years (laughs) like when I became a burlesque performer and studied social work and started to really like you know like I said before make up for lost time and then you know that after that um I got to about 35 and had a big burnout and it was at that point that I started to consciously collect, collect tools because that was the point where I was like well I can't keep living like this like I thought this was the answer you know yeah. after after everything I'd been through it's like no you just got to go out there and achieve 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 and yeah. that wasn't the answer so yeah I started to um work with some incredible therapists that taught me um I was really lucky to work with holistic doctors and therapists that didn't want to medicate me for any of this and taught me things about you know mindfulness and meditation and embodiment and um you know even things like how you like your hormones work and all this kind of like neurological sort of physiological and then I had all this spiritual support as well so I was collecting like a mad woman for (laughs) a couple of years but it felt really like it didn't feel frenzied or anything I was just so curious and so it was like a whole new possibility of how life could be had opened up to me because I'd realized there was no other option than to explore how I could manage myself Mm. so do you think that when you left the relationship and I've heard you talk about this and you can talk about it again if you like so our audience so my audience knows but do you feel that you replace one addiction with another by going from that relationship into the burlesque world um no I don't I don't feel like that at all actually I just feel like I feel like I was making up for lost time because I felt like I'd had so I'd missed so much of life and like I don't look back and regret that because I mean everything has its reason yeah um but yeah, no, I definitely don't feel like that. And because I still had the, you know, the addiction to smoking weed to medicate like my anxiety in those years, that was still running like <laughs> that addiction hadn't disappeared. So yeah. yeah. I love that you disagreed with me on that. <laughs> I do, because that's that's where honesty comes from. And I want you to be authentic and honest. And sometimes what we see from the outside and what we presume and the story that we create in our own heads um, mm-hmm. is completely different to what you're experiencing. And I love that. Mm. yeah Um, so tell me about the burlesque because that's a really interesting I find that really interesting because I've been to a burlesque um it was a 40th birthday a few years ago and absolutely loved it and swore (laughs) that I was going to go back and not necessarily do it myself but learn more about it because I found it fascinating Mm. and for me growing up in um like I said landlocked but I grew up in a very sheltered um area of Canberra as well that that felt really dark or feels really dark and underground and kind of naughty. Uh, yeah. how, did you, how did you get into the burlesque? And you were really big in that, right? Oh, look, I wouldn't say really big. I would just say that it was a very big revival of burlesque that was happening at the time. And it's like, like anything, like we, you know, used to joke that we, it's like, oh, we're seen famous. It's like, well, everyone's seen famous because everyone knows everyone in this scene. Like, yeah. so I was very um, busy and, you know, had like 
yeah, I wasn't like one of the elite that was going over to Las Vegas to compete for the Miss Burlesque World sort of things or anything like that. Um, but I definitely I found my place in it and, yeah, like achieved a lot of really cool things in that realm. So how it happened was just completely by um, accident because I, you know, I was sort of putting my life back together after I'd left the relationship. And I suppose part of an important piece um, to this is that my ex he had a lot of um he had a lot of issues he had like mental health issues and um like he was you know he was drug dealer as well and addicted to drugs so he was a pretty messed up person but a lot of that for him came from the fact that he was gay and like was in the closet for a really long time so wow. I was like the cover for that <laughs> so there did, was, you, that- did you know that at the time that started to emerge during the relationship. Um, it's sort of a few years in it emerged with him saying he thought he was bisexual and telling me a few stories. And I was like, oh, yeah, me too. I kissed some girls at some parties and, you know. Um, and then as that moved on, like I it, I don't like to talk about it too much, but basically like I said, he was cheating on me with men and I used to find out a lot of stuff like that after the fact and then, you know, but there was still... Um, like it was almost like he was having an emotional relationship with me but sexual relationships with men so Mm. and then that started to slowly shift that there was just that reliance and codependence of me being the constant in his life and then you know pursuing things more with men and then trying to deny it and going no no I'm not doing it it stopped and it went it was quite torturous for me because I just really loved him and Mm. it was Um, So, yeah, as you can imagine, being in a relationship with a gay man as a woman, like your like your femininity and sexuality just shuts down because it's not being seen or reciprocated and you just end up like burying it. Um, So that was a really big part of the burlesque thing for me was that I saw a poster for this class and I saw this woman in this like power pose and she looks so like sexy and strong and and I just went, oh, my God, that looks so fun. I want to go do that. And so when I went into the classes, it was like this, all of that repression just unleashed and it was a safe space for me to actually heal that wound of, you know, disconnection from from my, like, my womanhood, you know. It's feminine, yeah. Feminine. And also, so, yeah, that was what, that was what um, initially got me into it. And that was also where like a lot of the attention I started getting was um, because of that energy that I was unleashing. And so when you were watching me perform, you were feeling me perform. Like you weren't just, I wasn't just like my, you know, my costumes weren't the best. My, my technique wasn't the best, but that my energy was so raw and you were part of something so intimate in being there watching me perform. And I would just give everything to the audience. And that might be like a lot of, um, a lot of anger processed in that time as well and it's hilarious when I look back on my acts that I created because we used to create all our acts ourselves, and yeah it was such a, an incredible opportunity for your creativity to come to life but yeah. I look back at everything and it's like god I was really processing my shit in yeah. performance which um some people argue that that's not a good thing but I mean for me it was what it was yeah and um and yeah it'll be right for you right at the right time Absolutely. And it gave me such an opportunity to really like when 
because burlesque, you like, as you would know, it's striptease. So you're up on a stage and you've got control of what you're presenting of your sexuality to people. Yeah. And it's an incredibly empowering feeling being up there in front of hundreds of people and throwing your clothes off and everyone being in the palm of your hand. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But what that does is that sparks so many conversations with women and you start to, like, you're relating with women. Like, straight away, you've got all these layers stripped off and yeah. the way you talk to each other is from such a deep place and that was a huge thing in the burlesque world as well was because I was teaching as well yeah um and I was starting to see so many of these like you know feminine wounds and like just the healing power of not only connecting with your sensuality but connecting with other women like that was a huge part of my recovery was going to my dance classes and dancing with all these women that were in completely different stages of life but everyone had been drawn there for some deeper reason for you know their their own um development of their self and yeah that was I I just get shivers when I think about the power that I felt in that that world (laughs) um does it come as a surprise to the to you that you you mentioned this before that you'd had a burnout period uh, no, because I no. was literally doing so much stuff. I don't even know how I did it all, but yeah. But giving was... so much of yourself and giving, and from what you've just described to me, and correct me again if I'm wrong, but exposing and opening that door to your soul so that everybody could mm-hmm. see what was going on. And that takes bravery. And sometimes people don't realise they're brave or courageous in the moment for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you make me cry. Um <laughs> But also um, it, it takes a lot of energy to do that. So it's no surprise yeah. to me as a holistic lifestyle coach that you would end up in a position where you are burnt out from that. Absolutely, yeah, definitely like a deep soul kind of burnout. <laughs> yeah. Did you see it coming and were there signs or did it just you woke up one day again and went, what's going on here? My health has deteriorated to a point where I can't recover it. Well, no, like I, I, I didn't realise what I was playing with because when you've been like in the drug world and you've seen the edges people can go to, like you don't think that you're going to like have that kind of a, you know, crisis from living too hard and opening your soul up too much. But I, like what everyone used to be like, oh, you need to slow down. Oh, you're doing so much. But I heard that as, oh, you're doing so much. Like for me, that was, you know, like you're doing things. This is great. Look, everyone's noticing you're doing things. Like You took that as your love language. I did. Words of affirmation, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That is definitely my love language. Um, Yeah, so like the signs were there physically um, that like just the really basic things like, you know, you stop eating regular meals because you're, you're wired all the time and you start just just living on coffee and it doesn't even do anything and Mm. then I was creating burlesque shows at the time as well as performing and teaching and studying and working I was literally having these like I was working in creative bursts for my shows which I thought was because I was just so creative but you know what when you actually look at the um, physical symptoms of adrenal fatigue having late night bursts of energy is a symptom so that was a big one um and then also I was you know just things like getting dizzy um those kind of physical symptoms but the biggest one was I started having anxiety attacks out of nowhere and I hadn't had them for a long time and Mm. like usually smoking weed was enough to like you know make that not happen 
um, and I, even like my my habit was supporting me to keep going mm. but it wasn't masking those symptoms anymore like it always had so yeah I had like an absolute ripper of an anxiety attack it was quite bad um, thought I was dying and luckily my husband Perry was there and one of my best friends um, Eleanor who um, was a performing friend and you know they knew what to do to help me in that moment and then I talked to my auntie Val my <laughs> my beautiful hey, role hey. model you know that started to like I was starting to see what was coming to the surface but it wasn't but I had a show a massive show like I'd just done it was my 15th sold out show in a row and there was like you know hundreds of people coming and we just started in a new venue and it had like a big press campaign like it was a massive thing it's a that big I deal together. and my grandfather died um a week before that happened so all of that came together and then after the show I just crashed and then all of um like I couldn't get out of bed for about a week and all and this was really weird all the stuff from my ex-relationship started to come up which I now know was PTSD like I'd mm. actually funnily enough that night when I performed um a few people actually said that had seen me perform a few times actually kind of realized it as well but i I broke something that night like the where I went the place I went to was so I felt like another realm like it was it was not healthy and something I think I think my spirit broke that night mm. um and then I remember when I got off stage like there were, it was you know hundreds of people around me and Perry was right there and trying to like you know just say congratulations whatever and I couldn't reach him I felt like there was a bubble between us and I, he was in another reality and I couldn't reach him so that was a massive um sign that it was coming and so yeah after I had that week in bed I sort of kept going I just started a new job working in mental health and I kept going and it was only uh, probably a month later that um like the point came where I again had that moment of clarity like I woke up one morning and I was sobbing and I just sobbed flat out for like probably six hours. I couldn't stop. And I've never felt that emotional, just, just helplessness, like absolute helplessness. Unreachable. Pardon? Unreachable. Um, Did you feel like you were like that bubble again? Because I know people who have been through similar situations feel like that, that the people are talking to them at their, it's hard for them to hear or reach back? Not in that case. In that case, I just knew I needed help. And I, yeah, went and saw a counsellor that afternoon and she just, it was actually like she was not supposed to diagnose it, but she just goes to me, you've got adrenal fatigue, go see a doctor. Mm. And then that was when that healing sort of started and, yeah. Is that when you gave up burlesque then? Well, yes, unwittingly, like, um, I cancelled all the rest of the shows I had lined up. I cancelled all my gigs. I sort of managed to still run a few things throughout that time in the like women's kind of realm, doing a little bit of stuff in the community, community centre. Um, those kind of things nourished me and lifted me up. But performing, like there was no way. I was so raw. There was no way I could, like I could barely even talk to my own friends. Like there was no way I could be public anymore. Yeah. Um, 
And so, like, after I recovered from that, I did go back to performing. I think a year later I went back on stage again, did a few more gigs and then sort of slowly, like, because it was such a large part of my identity, it took a really, like, it took a bit to process that I had to let it go. Yeah, absolutely. More to the point that it was done and I needed to actually, like, align with the energy again. Um, Yeah, so I think now I'm getting, like, slightly better at that process of letting things go but I don't know it's always hard but yeah that was when I I see it like really ending yeah um as part of adrenal fatigue when I coach people through that it's a burnout and it's very much in the masculine side of things even though you're Mm. in that world of feminine energy and feminine power and empowerment burnout is hot and um very yang and very pushing things outwards. So for a lot of what I will coach people through and um, I don't prescribe, but I, what recommendations I, that I would have is cooling. So bringing back the yin energy, bringing cooling in, bringing water, bringing blue colours, bringing eating foods that are not <laughs> hot and spicy, bringing that like, yeah, that yin energy back in. Oh, sorry, your foot's sore. No, I, I just forgot about my foot for a second. I was like, oh, no. no so it's funny what, what you just said, isn't it? That cool colours, water. and Because I went to, um, like, I was going to see a lot of practitioners and, you know, like doing a lot of stuff to educate myself on, you know, holistic living. And I remember someone saying to me that I needed to do yin yoga. And I was just like, what a dickhead. What does he know? And then... <laughs> I actually, when I realised, like, my resistance to it was because I just did not know how to really tap into, like, my yin energy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so Makes sense that water came in somewhere, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was my next question. So when did you start surfing? Did you surf as a child? Because I'm guessing not if you were in Bowen, family would not have been... Oh, I actually have to tell you a funny story about that. So, because we used to go on family holidays and like boogie board on the holidays, me and dad would boogie board all day. And I just like, I remember I used to get this, the surf stoke off, like just riding whitewater on a boogie board. And I just thought that like, yeah, like, yeah, like I'm boogie boarded. Yeah. Like, you know, and then <laughs> recently we were watching a family holiday video with like Perry hadn't seen it before watching it with my family. And um, it's like me and dad and we're like on the beach in Hawaii and dad's got his like fluoro pink budgie smugglers on. And then, um, you know, we're putting our socks on and like walking into the water backwards with our um, boogie boards. And then we like can't get past the shorey and <laughs> just like, and Perry's just sitting there and he just goes, yeah, I surfed as a kid. <laughs> so, but it's funny because, like, I, I guess I had that taste of, you know, of the ocean as a child from the holidays. And, yeah, like, I had that feeling. I'd had that feeling before, but I'd never really pursued it because I didn't live near the ocean. Yeah. Um, so when I started to surf, it was, it was, I'd sort of, like, jumped on a board here or there on a holiday and tried to stand up kind of thing. Um but like probably, you know, under five times, but loved it every time. And just also really respected how bloody difficult it is because it was like, oh, it's not as easy as you just go out there and you stand up on a board. And like the water moving around and you're getting like smashed around and, you know, it felt like unachievable for me. Um, 
so yeah I just used to I used to like watch Perry surf and then like look at all the girls that would surf with this like oh like oh man they must be like so amazing um but yeah when I was recovering from the adrenal fatigue and I one day just got in my car and drove down to one of the local surf shops and just walked in and spent all my money on a stand-up paddleboard um and like I know when you get those callings like you follow them there's a reason yeah and I start I just live by the bay so I started to stand up paddle in the bay and I used it gave me so much like my soul like I just felt so free and I used to just go out there and be away from the land and you know just even just being on the water gave me that Mm-hmm. And then I'd started to get up and go watch the sunrise in the mornings at like one of the local beaches that gets waves. Um, Cause I was like, nature was a huge part of my healing from all of that. And then I saw this guy on a stand up paddleboard, like riding these little white water waves. And I went, Oh, I might bring my board down tomorrow. So and I can do that. yeah. And so I did. And I was the only person in the water and I've been out there for like two hours trying to <laughs> catch something. And then someone I knew from one of the local um, uh, dis- disabled surfers that we've done some volunteer work with, he came out and he goes, are you trying to catch a wave? Just go over there a bit. And I went, oh, okay. And then I got on a wave, like the tiniest little wave, and it was like, oh, my God, like that moment, I had that moment of clarity again where yeah. I just went, because I'd been working so hard to, you know, resource myself to be able to let go of my addiction that moment of clarity was like, well, if I can have this, I don't need, like, I don't need any of that. Like, it, yeah. I just knew that that moment, I look back and it's like that was such a pivotal moment of some part of me knowing that that was what was coming next for me. Yeah. So, yeah, I started to stand up paddle surf um, and just kind of teach myself during the week and connect with, like, other people in the community and then Perry would come out with me on the weekends and then we would fight in the water because that's what husbands and wives do when you're trying to learn from each other. We're really good now, but at the time, it's like, no, just let me do it. You skipped over a really big step in that statement that you, you just made, Jess. You said, I've reached out to the community and blah, 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 and fighting with Perry. Reaching out to the community, oftentimes, often for women particularly, learning and especially going from being on a stand-up paddleboard to surfing on a stand-up paddleboard to then eventually surfing, that connection of reaching out to community can be a really big step for people. Well, I'll tell you why that was probably easier being a stand-up paddleboard surfer was because you're already, like in surf culture, you're already an outcast. Yeah. No, well, like truly. Yeah. people are a lot more welcoming to you if you're ah. on a paddleboard. And because like where we are, you know, the stand-up paddleboards would all go to the same sort of breaks and try and stay out of the way of the surfers. Yeah. So that was um, a lot easier for me to integrate step-by-step step into that community rather than like if I just tried to go into the surf community, like there's so many people in it and everyone's kind of already got their connections. Yeah. Um I don't think it's a matter of people keeping people out of the community. I just think that it's a really big community um, and people just like, it's easy to get lost in that. Whereas in the stand-up community, like it's like, oh, who's this new face? We don't know her. Um, we'll help her. Like, but yeah, you're kind of more invisible in the surf community in the beginning. So yeah, that was like super, super helpful for me to have that. And also being like, I work locally 
I work in a surf town. I've done um, volunteer work with some like organisations like Disabled Surfers down here and been around the Malediction Surf Club for a long time because Perry was involved in it. Like I knew a lot of people around too. So I was really privileged um, not only to have a husband that taught me about water etiquette and, mm. you know, I could come home and debrief every experience with, but to have these ties to the community already, which then rippled into the water. Um, yeah, like I think I was super lucky and a lot of people don't have all of that at their fingertips. Yep. So that brings me to the next um, area. Peninsula Surf Sisters, is that what it is about? And tell us a bit about how it evolved and who's involved and why? Well, yeah, like that's basically it. Um, Peninsula Surf Sisters is born, like I see Peninsula Surf Sisters as its own entity that mm -hmm. has like basically as, you know, the women's movement through surfing globally has, there's been this like undercurrent of energy coming through and you've seen it come through the WSL and you've seen it come through local communities, but it hadn't come through ours yet because there was nobody there to be like, you know, for no people for that to flow through to make that come to life. Such a beautiful um, way to put it. Yep. Yeah. And so we like there's Sarah, Sarah Wanat, who is the co-president of Malediction. Um, she's stepped into that role this year. She and I met on a beach. And like, you know, all your great conversations start in the car park. And I remember she said to me, we we're talking about, you know, we're just talking about, I don't know, we've got a very deep friendship. So it got very deep and meaningful very quickly. And she goes, yeah, I've got this vision of like bringing all the women together and having a massive event for women surfing. Rah, rah, rah. And I was like, I'll help you with that. And I heard myself at the time and I felt so like unworthy of helping her with that um yeah. so so yeah basically that seed got planted in that conversation and Sarah had a, a Facebook group called Peninsula Surf Women um which had you know maybe I think maybe maybe around 100 people in it at that time and that was during lockdown and you know she was sort of trying to bring the community together mm. um and then so I'll tell you how it evolved for me personally and then tell you how it all came together from there Sure. So around the time that um, the pipe masters happened because of the shark attack at Maui, yep. there were some great conversations going on in my house um, about which, you know, started from an off the cuff remark from my beautiful husband. And he goes, more women should be getting out to pipe. And I said, well, Perry, it's not that easy for a woman just to paddle out to pipe. Mm -hmm. And so this discussion went for like two weeks of me and him like unpacking like, well, it's different for men and women, mm. you know, that that like the way this feeling like going into the surf is different for men and women, yeah. um, you know, and but we, we ended up kind of coming to the point where we realised the same thing, which was he's, he's gone, well, I hear what you're saying, but I think the women that can, like the ones that have got the connections to community there and they're confident and they're good surfers. He goes, like people like your Carissa Moores, like they should be leading the way for the other women who don't believe that they can. Mm. And, and I said, yeah, all right, I agree with that, but I'm still telling you it's harder to do something, like it's harder to do anything like that if you're a woman because of these beliefs that women hold that we're not as worthy or it's not our place. 
And then I um, went along to a, um, like, you know, EFT tapping, yeah, went yeah. to a tapping session. And what came up in that session was that conversation and that basically that I held the belief that I wasn't worthy, that, you know, like yeah. I held this like deeply, deeply conditioned, like ancestral um, societal belief that I wasn't worthy of being able to go out and be a woman and because I'm older and all of those like I couldn't go be a woman in the surf and I went shit that was so deep in my subconscious like how many of us hold that like and I felt it I felt it leave my body and as in the magical way it happens I left um, that appointment went straight to the surf ran straight into Sarah who I hadn't seen for probably since that last conversation and I said to her hey, I've got to talk to you. There's that Girls Can't Surf movie coming out. I reckon we should put it on and bring the community together. And she goes, all right, cool. I'm going to make you an admin of this Facebook group. And then her and I just started putting all this energy into that group yep. um, because I, because that belief had shifted from me, I had the clarity to go, well, I am worthy and I have a responsibility to my community that if I'm one of those people who's confident to go out and surf and I'm connected to the community, um, like I'm one of those people that has has to lead the, the way for the other women who maybe don't have what I Absolutely. have at the yep. moment. And so, yeah, we started to like put energy into that Facebook group and it just started to gain, like the energy started to burst. And then at the same time, um, some other women down here, so beautiful Layla Bulma, who's an artist, she does all of our artwork for Peninsula yep. Sisters. Um, Sasha Guggenheimer, who's a marine biologist and um, also the founder of Sun Butter, who is the first palm oil-free sunscreen in the world. Yes. Um, so these beautiful women, um, Hinatera, a beautiful healer. Um, she's just like a goddess, basically, Hinatera. They'd all been having the same conversations and the same feelings. And then they, you know, reached out and said, oh, like, we'll be involved if you, and we're like, yeah. So yeah. next week, five of us. And then as time's gone on and we've sort of started by, you know, having the movie event and then um, having like just little things kept rolling on from each other and it kept calling more women in. Mm-hmm. So there's actually now, I think there's nine or 10 of us on the committee of Peninsula Surf Sisters now and we all have our own kind of roles of, you know, different arms of what we do for Surf Sisters. But it was like this energy just came up and through and called all these women in for particular reasons and it needed all of us to be able to birth in the way that it has and when we started to see the magnetism that was happening with like how quickly the community was growing like oh my god like none of us realized how many women were out there (laughs) that like we thought you know maybe a couple of hundred like we're um our community on Facebook we have a private community there's around 900 women at the moment um and you know it's like where are all these women like no wonder we all felt disconnected it's because we're all there but we're not connected so it's been incredible feeling that come come into like all sort of come in together there was a shift that happened energetically worldwide and it's debatable depending on who you speak to but um the guy that I mainly get taught by is Paul Check from the Czech Institute. And he said that during the first one, he said it wasn't going to be during the first lockdown, but it was the second one that the energy shift and the reason why there was so much resistance around lockdowns and COVID and everything like that, the energy shift was changing. Like it was changing from the masculine to the feminine. And you've just, 
and you've just encompassed that in exactly what you said. It's that no. people, women and men needed divorce because men have the feminine qualities and um, yep. attributes in them as well. It's not just women that we're talking about, but they needed a, a an opening for that to come through. And that sounds like exactly what has happened with you guys, yeah. that your energy came together, but yeah. it allowed other women in that community to go, yep, I've been wanting to do that as well. And that's that's an amazing thing. Yeah. Oh, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. I just got the most incredible full body shiver when you said that because, yeah, like being so energetically sensitive, I um, definitely could feel that. And it's like I've felt that before because when I started to work in the like empowerment and dance realm when I was moving from burlesque into that area of my life, um, I remember saying to Perry, there's something happening in women's like empowerment with dance and movement and I can feel it and I know I'm at the front of the energy I said that to him I know I'm at the front of the energy mm. and then after that happened like I started a modality for women and that you know that like really served a purpose for a lot of women in connecting with themselves through dance and movement and sensuality but there was a couple of other modalities that had started around the same time but we'd all been developing these things in our own space and time like not planning to not cognitively um, and then all these kind of like you know little offshoots of that energy had birthed and then this women's embodied dance movement became massive and now like I I don't feel like like I don't need to be at the front of it anymore and I've stepped out yep. because now I feel like that same exact thing happened with um, like that energy that's moving through surfing and I do think it is being able to feel the feminine like absolutely feel and feel these big energetic shifts and just like I trust that so deeply when that happens so and there's like and I'm not saying I'm special I'm saying like there's a lot of people that also feel at the same time. That and they're also like in their own communities or whatever they're doing at the front of the energy too so yeah, yeah definitely. pretty amazing thing <laughs> do you feel like and I feel like I'm gonna say this I feel like when I'm surfing and when I've caught a wave and when I'm surfing along that green face of the wave it feels like I'm dancing well look I don't think I'm at that point yet I think I'm still like I feel like sometimes like I'm just connected to the wave or just you know like I feel like I'm flowing and that's I don't I'm not probably don't always look like I'm flowing but that's what sensation I'm generally always trying to emulate and that's what I would get from dancing but I don't think my technical ability is at the point where I like feel like I'm dancing yet. So yeah, <laughs> but like, it's really, it's really good to know. Um, one of my healers pointed out to me when I was sort of letting go of, you know, the identity of just the dancer that I've been for so long. She said, your dancing is now and you're surfing. It's just, I'm at that stage where I've really only been like, I've only been in the water for six years and I've only been on a surfboard for a, few of those years like I'm learning like yep. <laughs> so I can't wait till it feels like I'm dancing <laughs> <laughs> awesome um I'm gonna ask you probably just another couple of questions mm -hmm. when have you or when in your life have you felt the most disempowerment as a woman um I don't even know if it's as a woman let like it's more so as a person mm -hmm. and it's not 
due to a specific set of circumstances that I've felt that it's due to me not listening to like I don't know you might call it your inner voice or your higher self or Mm. your intuition whatever that is like not having the courage or resources to listen to that has made me feel the least empowered however now I understand that it doesn't just come down to courage like you also need resources a lot of the time to make that move towards you know whatever it is that you're wanting to address but at that time I I believed that I had to do it all by myself so that makes you even feel you know more disempowered because you think you're supposed to just be able to do all these things um Mm. I don't often have that feeling anymore because I've realized the importance of support and community um so if I'm struggling to action something from my inner voice or intuition then I reach out for that support so and then that in turn makes me feel empowered so yeah and that was my next question when do you feel most empowered oh probably just those moments when you're sitting in that power pocket of the energy and everything's flowing cleanly and you know you're you're really aligned um that would be those moments because empowerment to me is like it's an essence um so it's when you feel that most potent essence of like you know if you're talking about like a high vibration or a strong frequency um yeah yeah, when you're feeling that the most and you then get reflected back to you from everything in life mirroring that you're in that right place like I feel empowered because I'm connected to that does that make sense yeah absolutely so for me it's (laughs) when I feel like a conduit for the energy that's meant to come through me and somebody else is empowered from what I am teaching or coaching yeah yeah because I mean we're all just like a little piece in a big picture so yeah absolutely um so where is what is the vision for Peninsula Surf Sisters well the vision um it guides us so the community guides us and we like just the incredible amount of flow that's happened and um, like the way everything works within the entity of Surf Sisters, like we just completely trust that it's not up to us to have a vision for it. But if I were to kind of put our intention into it, it's that like obviously, you know, we talk about um, our purpose being to, our mission being to connect, uplift and empower um, and support women to claim their space in the water and connect with each other. So it's really about what is our place in that? Like, how can we serve the community? Um, How can we be a bridge between where people want to be and get to with their connection to their surfing and their connection to each other? Um, Yeah, what what part can we play in that to make all of that flow? So, yeah, I guess in that sense, what we were talking about before, like we, Peninsula Surf Sisters is the conduit for that flow to come through for the community so that's basic well that's how I see our vision for it yeah that's really cool how does a person connect with the community in Peninsula Surf Sisters well we have a private Facebook community for women and um, people identifying as women who either live on or surf the Mornington Peninsula Mm -hmm. Um, the reason that we keep it like that is because we want to keep it like we're not we don't care how many people we get like we're not worried about how much we grow the community it's more about it being like a really grassroots local community 
Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we have that group for people that fit into that category. Um, if, if people are interested in connecting with our journey and like, you know, watching what's going on with Surf Sisters and supporting us, um, Instagram is the place to connect with us. So yeah, on Facebook, it's um, just Peninsula Surf Sisters and you just request to join the group and answer a few questions. Yep. And on Instagram, it is all one word, lowercase, Peninsula Surf Sisters. Yeah. Yep. We've got a website um, in the works coming. <laughs> Very cool. So, yeah, but at the moment, the social media channels are the best way. And if someone who, say, lives up here, surfs at Urban Surf or doesn't surf on the peninsula regularly wants to connect, because I've been doing this with a lot of my students through Urban Surf, because they ask me, where do I go now? If I don't want to surf at Urban Surf, I want to go down to the coast. Mm -hmm. Where do I go? And I have been recommending them take a look at the pay, the Facebook page and connecting with you guys because... Oh, thank you. From, yeah, from what... Well, thank you for putting it there because for me growing up in Canberra, I don't know what the surf spots are here because I've mainly surfed at Urban Surf. So I've surfed down at Torquay, but not across in the peninsula so much. But yeah. um, for me, it's fantastic because I've got these girls who... Women, ladies who want to get out in the ocean but don't want to go out there and do the wrong thing and... yeah. And, yeah. and that culture is quite confronting and scary if you get the wrong side of it first up when you go out into the ocean, oh, particularly yeah. by yourself. So I've been recommending people go and get onto the page, follow it and watch what's happening and watch the posts that go up, which I love, uh, that uh, people who just post and say, surfing here tomorrow, anyone in the crew wants to come or is anyone going there already or does that not look like a great spot for my level of surfing ability? Let yeah. me know. Yeah. So you're happy for our people to do that still, like to follow through that way? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's what we're there for. Like we really advocate for safety in the water. Um, and you know, like how can you be safe or like how do you know these things if you don't know? And that was such a huge part of why Peninsula Surf Sisters was birthed was because like we all when we came up, um, we didn't have those resources. You know, we didn't we didn't have like a brains trust we could tap into to find those things out. So. Yeah. yeah, those kind of conversations are exactly why the group is there. And yeah, like everyone's got something to share um, with everyone else. And I love seeing the questions that come up because they're things that like I, I sometimes go far out. I wouldn't have even thought of that. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, the other thing oh, sorry. I was just going to say if like if any of your um, students or anything are coming down to the peninsula, another way to connect is we have um, pink stickers pink stickers with the Peninsula Surf Sisters logo that um, you'll see on a lot of cars around and about and they've been an incredible conversation starter because as soon as you see a Surf Sisters sticker you know that you can like straight away go and talk to that person so yeah. definitely um, yeah that's a really really good one and it's really cool when you run into someone on another coast and you're like oh so yeah please anyone that you're talking to that wants to connect like let them know not to be scared to just approach someone if they see a sticker yeah that's a and, safe um, space such a beacon of um safety and beacon of um how am I going to say this uh yeah a welcoming beacon like that you know that it's safe to go and speak to those people with the stickers on the car like that you don't actually have to try and guess who might be who or especially if you have connected like that and you don't know what the person is that you're looking for, yes. if you can't connect it on Facebook I mean that's a, a definite sign isn't it yeah yeah very cool thank you so much for your time today Jess did you have anything else you wanted to add to that no thank you so much for allowing me space to just 
talk and I hope I didn't talk too much no it's <laughs> yeah like just yeah our surf sisters community like we love meeting new people and you know really um helping people to feel confident and supported and connected so yeah hopefully some we meet some new sisters through this podcast so yeah <laughs> awesome I have no doubt that you will and the other thing I was going to say as well which I just remembered the talks that you're having now as well the talk that you had the other week which I was really annoyed I couldn't get to um, about um, tides and currents like things that we need to learn about that yeah. we sometimes feel embarrassed to ask well, yeah, that was, and these are, um, I've actually just done a terrible job before of telling you how you can connect with Surf Sisters because basically like when you're part of the Facebook group, um, we advertise all these kind of things to our, like um, I'm saying in inverted commas, members first. Um, so we have a monthly initiative called Salty Yarns where we do have members of our community sharing their wisdom um, mm -hmm. and we make that a really accessible price point uh, it's like eight dollars to come along and you get a bowl of kitchery and a chai and you just get to learn from um your peers basically um yeah. and then we also have social meetups that happen semi-regularly we've got one coming up in July as well and that's another great opportunity it's actually floored me how many women will come along to a social meetup without knowing anyone yeah, like, like that's so like how you know confident and empowered are they to just go? I am just going to go to this place where I don't know anyone, and I'm just going to go meet people to go surfing with. So yeah, that's two really good ways to connect as well. Awesome, thanks very much, Jess. Thanks, Tanya. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Amongst the Waves. I would love for you to leave your review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help increase our rankings, let more people listen to the podcast, and share the love. Thank you.